Episode of Rank and Review When Animals Attack 2. Returning guest Lee Beckman is going to discuss with me, your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons, six movies where animals try like hell to eat people. As usual with Rank and Review, you're going to expect coarse language and you're going to expect spoilers for the six movies discussed, but we're all adults here, so let's just be grown up about this. Please send feedback to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. And please check out the website at rankandreview.ca. I hope you enjoy episode 49 of Rank and Review. Because here it comes. So welcome to the 49th episode of Rank and Review. There's been that many? There's been that many. Wow. Well, this will be the 49th episode once I'm, we finish recording it. And, I'm so proud of you. Put it out in the world, yes. I'm so proud of you. Episode 49, and we're doing When Animals Attack again. So this is When Animals Attack 2. But I'm a little choked. I'm not 50. Oh, oh, the 50th oh. anniversary you know, episode. No, that's next episode. What is it, by the way? I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. Oh, you're me. being a tease. I'm actually not 100% sure at this time what the 50th episode's going <laughs> to be yet. So I'm recording the 49th. All right. <laughs> so, Fine. All right. So, so give me a little bit of room here. Okay. But uh, this does seem like an appropriate list for Lee and I to tackle. Cause mm. It's not quite monster movies, but it's close enough. It sort yeah. of feels like we're doing creature features again in some respects. Mm. Although, uh, as I discussed the first time we did uh, When Animals Attack, Mm -hmm. uh, that I kind of prefer it the more realistic I believe the animals to be behaving. Mm. Like, I want to buy what's happening. I want to see it sort of feel like it could be in the real world. Mm -hmm. When you're doing a monster movie, you're not really necessarily locked into that box. Yeah, there's a certain, what's the word I'm looking for here, Um, suspension of disbelief because the creatures are supernatural. We're here. This is sort of nature getting revenge in a lot of ways. These stories... Some of them, anyway, are yeah. things that could happen. Yes. <laughs> things that could happen. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, it comes almost a survival movie. It's a yeah. survival horror as much as it is a monster movie. Like, what would you do if yeah. you were in situation X? Yeah. Right? Yep. So uh, I relate to it on a sort of primal yeah. level. We also have a lot of water monsters we're dealing with. Which is, which a is always a good thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is always a good thing. Yeah, no, I have a sort of very in- invest interest in this because, you know, I've had a job where a lot of it was to sort of hunt and track animals and yeah. deal and with... And unfortunately cr- scrape them off the road yes. sometimes. Oh, quite a bit, actually. Yeah. But, anyways... 
So that gives you a stronger stomach and I guess maybe a keener eye onto what would be more realistic animal behavior. With the dog movie for sure. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it's sort of things on four legs in general. Yeah. But like I say, the environmental factor comes an issue in a lot of these too. When you're in the water, the water itself can kill you. You can yeah. be drowned. The water gets in your lungs. You're done anyway. This is sort of like a, a nature's revenge series in a lot, a lot yeah. of ways. Things of nature that have you know reminded us quite a bit that we are not the dominant species on this planet. We're all comfortable and cozy right now. We're actually recording this in your mother's very, very nice house. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have everything we could want or need, refrigerator, microwave, computer, all of these sort of things. And for fun, we strip all of these things away and we yeah. go out into the wilderness. Yeah. And, you know, we row a boat around or we kayak down a river or, you know, go to some remote locales. And we're used to this feeling of safety, but uh, yeah. we carry that feeling of safety with us away from our home. Yeah. And uh, just because we have that feeling with us doesn't mean it's a real thing. <laughs> you know, things can take a turn really quickly, even in where we live in this place, Saskatchewan. Uh, it's a very remote region. You know, mm. if you're out in the middle of nowhere and your car dies and, you know, you busted your leg or something, you've got a real problem. <laughs> what, kind of, what, what, what kind of like sort of uh, monster movie could you do in Saskatchewan? You know, Any, I, I would say probably Saskatoon or Saskatchewan is one of the few places where you can end up with in the middle of nowhere and have a real problem one of the scary calls that you'll hear over a police radio is if somebody's car breaks down and they're on some rural road in Saskatchewan and they're trying to tell the person on this dying cell phone roughly where they are but they don't know they're on rural road something or other north of this but south of that yeah. and this coordinated effort to just try to find this person in their car before their engine dies and they freeze to death mm -hmm. right um so add the added component which is unlikely in saskatchewan but that's what you know our imagination is for mm -hmm. some animal some creature something that wants to eat you and it's not personal they don't have a personal vendetta against you mm -hmm. you're just, just food that's where you are and you're an interesting steak yeah, and you're a different food, yeah, than they're yeah. used to. This is no rabbit. This is gonna. Be, this is a meal, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna look good. Um, most of the animals that we're gonna be talking about today, you're not gonna find in Saskatchewan. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's go through the movies. Uh, we're gonna look at Black Water, an Australian film yeah. about people who uh, come across a very aggressive crocodile. Uh, that's that's bad news for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, it's based on a true story, which we can talk about a little bit when we get the review. Uh, Steven Spielberg's Jaws, which we reviewed when I did my Sharks episode, and Charlene Roach and I agreed it to be the best of those shark movies, and uh, remains to this day the greatest shark film ever made. Yeah. It's credited with creating the summer blockbuster season, and it also created the summer blockbuster sequel. Yeah. We're going to talk about Jaws 2. Yeah, no, it's... Uh... It's an interesting monster movie. Mm -hmm. It is a sequel to one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah, and yeah. that's all. That's that's a hard act to follow. It is. I mean, and it's part of you know part of the demons of it. I guess. Uh, frequent Wes Craven collaborator Nick Mastandrea. Yes, Mastandria. he was the DP for the Scream trilogy. Uh, Scream movies. Yeah, yeah, basically quadrilogy. Is that can we say it? Now, he or? directs a, a movie about a bunch of young, attractive people who go to an island full of. Uh, wild dogs mm -hmm. or maybe manipulated scientifically manipulated dogs say nothing don't spoil it Larry <laughs> no, 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 spoilers. 
Another, uh, based on a true story, a really chilling true story, uh, and a kind of a crazy movie. We'll look forward to talking about that. The Ghost and the Darkness. Don't you mean Jaws with claws? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah, no, it's... It's in, filmed in one of my most favorite places. Um, a favorite uh, sort of indie horror writer-director of mine, Larry Fessenden, uh, comes up with his sort of wannabe Jaws movie called Beneath, about a bunch of teenagers terrorized by a much larger-than-usual fish, mm-hmm. uh, very low-budget venture. And we're going to wrap up our When Animals Attack 2 with the uh, infamous Anaconda, starring J-Lo and a sneering John Voight. <laughs> Oh, there's there's so much more. And Ice in that. Cube, and and Owen Wilson, and Eric Stoltz. It just goes on and on and on. Yeah. Here's the here's Johnny the thing. Trio. Here's the thing, and I wanted to talk about this just a little bit. I knew it's going to be like a sidebar, but I cannot understand the appeal of Ice Cube as a movie star. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Every thing, every every time he's on screen, I I just something false, and I just. I don't tell you, man, they can't all be ghosts from Mars. <laughs> hey, hey, be nice. Ah, oh, two weeks on the road. So, where are we going to go first? Backwater Barry's alternative river tour. See the wildlife, catch the fish. I don't know you're into fishing. No, I'm not, but I like being out on the water. taken. We're miles from anywhere. No one saw us leave and no one knows we're here. So we've talked about uh, Australian sort of horror films in the past on this podcast. We've actually talked about this director. He did uh, a film called The Reef. Which was very mucho good. It's a very good film. This one actually was made just before that, and he's recently come out with a found footage movie called The Jungle. Mm-hmm. I think he's a solid director. Mm-hmm. I think if his name's on it, I'm, his track record's solid enough for me that I will, I will have a look at what he has to say. Yeah, um, I'll say this: he's made two really good horror movies. Yeah, um, yeah. The uh, Blackwater is based on a true incident. Uh, three kids were. Hanging out in the outbacks, doing outdoorsman things, yeah. and the, it was a very uh, inordinately wet season. Mm-hmm. The river was much stronger and bigger than usually would, and they ended up being sort of swept down river. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all managed to stay together, but uh, as they were sort of clinging to each other, finding trying to find a good place to get out of the drift, one of them saw a large crocodile coming towards them, and they all immediately started swimming towards these branches and climbed into the tree. Well, two of them did. The third was caught and eaten by the, uh, by the crocodile. Uh, it actually held the body in its jaws and waited at the bottom of the trees where these two terrified kids were there for almost 24 hours before they could be rescued. And uh, during that whole time, the creature left and came back, left and came back, and they were traumatized and hypothermic and not willing to get out of the tree. Mm-hmm. So they just saw it come and go, come and go for a day. Now this story, horrifying as it is by itself, <laughs> Uh, has been taken great liberties with. Uh, it's not a group of young kids. Uh, the characters are completely removed from the reality of it. But what we do have, basically, once we finally sort of get into the, the, the perilous scenario, yeah. we have three people 
stranded. Their boat's upended in this Australian swamp. Yep. Dealing with a basically very aggressive and much larger than usual crocodile. Mm-hmm. And the stakes are very high. Yes. <laughs> um, no, it's 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 a great survivalist survivalist movie. Um, sorry, I'm showing my hand here. Yeah. Um, this movie gave good cinematic head. <laughs> it really did. Um, I, there are some real shots of crocodiles in this movie. Like the actors were relatively close with the crocodile. Am I not mistaken with this? The crocodile was filmed separately from the actors in the trees. Yeah. They used puppets or very limited CG or just splashed the water. Yeah. So the actors knew where and how to react. Yeah. But they filmed an actual crocodile. Yeah. And they basically uh, bled the scenes together. They did a very similar process with the reef. Yeah. In the reef, we see real great white shark. It just is nowhere near the actors. It looks like it's really close to the actors because of the way they cut and edit things. Yeah. Right? Um, and they do a really good job. Uh, of making this thing look huge. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. it's not just this alligator that's after you. It's like this huge physical, it's like a boat that's trying to get <laughs> this yeah. big thing. Because um, this is one of the, the ideas. One of our characters disappears early. We don't know, we don't have confirmation of their fate, but we have to assume because this is a... Uh, alligator movie that he's been eaten by an alligator and I start to start asking these questions like how many people can this alligator eat and typically I know because I've I've watched my nature documentaries they won't eat you outright they like to drown you kill you and then shove you under a log or under a bank somewhere and let you get a little soft and ripe and then eat you so if he's hoarding food I guess maybe we would do that but like how many people would one alligator be interested in eating? Will he just kill? Like, Maybe in nature, two? Yeah, in, in the nature videos, you'll see him eat, you know, it'll oh. jump out of the water and grab the bird and then yeah. disappear. But you don't see it, like, coming out again and again and again. Yeah. So I think that if we have to take any sort of dramatic license, it is that. Although, like I said, in the true account, the gator seemed to come back, seemed to be waiting for them to come down from that tree. So yeah. who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Um, I think it's a good choice in this particular scenario to mm-hmm. detach themselves against the specifics of the real story. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'll be it'd be harder to make that play as suspenseful and just unnecessary. I mean, just for the trauma of those people involved. Yeah. You know, not that they would ever want to watch this movie, but yeah. <laughs> I give give yourself enough creative license to say yes. It was inspired by true events. We have a large crocodile and we have three people. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? I mean, what would you do if you were in that situation? Well, I guess that's my first question. Yeah. What would I do? Oh my god! Um, I would probably wait till he's eaten one of the people and then swim and run as fast as I can because he's yeah. at least you know putting that body down below. Um, yeah, I think I would wait till someone is dead and just give her yeah. as cowardice as that sounds. Yeah, I. I... It's interesting. We guys, we haven't really gotten into the characters of the group dynamics, but yeah. uh, there's the the main couple, Grace, who's ostensibly our main character. Yeah. We have found out is pregnant. Yes, I will say this about the movie. Sorry to interrupt. That the people in this movie are fi- by far the most sympathetic and yeah. sort of relatable, and like they're good people. Yeah, nobody's terrible, trying to do yeah. anything wrong. Terrible, Nobody... terrible things happen to really good, sweet natured people. Yeah. And they don't deserve any of this to happen to them. Yeah. There's not some sort of ironic thing. Yeah. No, they weren't led into this as a trap. It was just bad circumstance that yeah. this happens to them. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, Grace. It's weird. She's sort of sort of set up as her main character, her her little sister and her fiance or boyfriend. I'm not wasn't quite sure. I think it was husband. Husband. There you go. So obviously, for the husband, the priority is is his wife. Yeah. And when the initial attack happens, the younger sister sort of gets tangled under the boat. Yeah. She manages to get on top of the boat, yeah. and he and Grace end up high in the trees. Yeah. And his priority. Un, he's not really hiding it. Is to get his wife out of. It. Mm-hmm. He's not going to leave anybody behind necessarily. But mm-hmm. the extra added uh, impetus of him, you know, this being his his wife and him carrying his child, he does take the alpha male role. Yeah. Uh, the girls take their turn being heroic and brave too. Yeah. But until spoilers. Yeah. The man is dispatched by the uh, crocodile. He does sort of take point in yeah. all of the sort of. And, I didn't not believe it, and it didn't particularly bother me, but I mm. do know that there are certain people out there who look at it with a very feminist bent and say, of course, the girls are useless until the boy dies, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe you could make that case. But he I didn't... dies actually going out to the, trying to get to the boat, does he Yes, not? he wants to get... The boat's been tipped over, and mm. it's their only way of regress, uh, yeah. like to get out of there. And he wants to see if he can get it righted and get them out of there. Because what else is there to do right. other than walk out, which would just be horrifying, yeah. right? Uh, that makes sense. The only thing I remember thinking watching the movie is like, they're in a tree, break off a branch or something, just have something in your hand, like, they, you yeah. know, to defend yourself somehow. Yeah. I know it would be a meek thing against this powerful creature, but yeah. I would want to, if I had to do something that horrifying, I would want to go armed somehow, <laughs> yeah. you know, in yeah. some minimal way, a rock, yeah. you know, like yeah. something to hold in my hand and make me feel safe. Yeah. But when I'm having these thoughts and when I'm feeling that as he wades into the water and yeah. I know he's going to his death, yeah. I also know that the suspense in the movies working on me really yeah. really well oh yeah no the, the guy who made this movie uh has a lot of good movie knowledge good movie logic he's he's well crafted in the art form the use of sound in this movie with the cicadas yeah is really really good it's a good useful tool to amp the te- amp, to sort of amp the tension it's very hitchcockian or even you know earlier filmmakers use that his use of sound is quite good in this movie especially for an independent movie I also think he's got a little bit of bloodlust in him, or, or so there's a, there's a darkness to his work. I think he really enjoys giving us characters that we like and then taking them from us, yeah. because he does that in a lot of his well, all of his movies really. Uh, and uh, again, I don't mean to spoil other movies tangentially, but a lot of times they'll set up someone to be a main character and really. They, they end up not being the survivor character that they're sort of set up to be that that role dictates. I think that's definitely the case in this movie. Mm-hmm. Because my, my belief, for whatever reason, before I'd seen one minute of this movie, just as like the opening credits were rolling, was that, you know, Grace was going to be our protagonist and she was going to be our survivor. Alas, I was not right about that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Not only, and it's it's not just like a quick thing either. She gets badly mauled by this creature and is left in a tree while her sister has to go out. To, yeah, she, for the she is essentially bleeding to death. Is she she bleeds to death, yeah. yeah. This woman who, like, they took great pains in showing us she's pregnant and nervous about it. She stopped drinking. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. She wa- first watches her husband die, and then she is viciously mauled, and then she slowly bleeds to death because her sister can't quite get rescued there in time. Yeah. 
Yeah. Happy, yes, happy, happy, happy. I happy. didn't feel completely emotionally wrecked by the movies. Like, I no. didn't, it wasn't like this devastating movie, but it was like, I didn't. The person who survived wasn't the person I expected to survive. Yeah. And in a way, that sort of felt more, quote, real. Right? Yeah. Uh, hat, yeah, sort of hats off to the use of the crocodile as well. Yeah. I think out of all of them, this is, you know, the, the animal looks the most real, to be perfectly honest. Because it is. It, it is at some points, and then it's puppets. I love that shot of, I think it's the, the younger sister, the one who, spoilers, does survive the whole movie, and that croc sort of pops up in the just water. Just right over her shoulder. Yeah. yeah. She's the, looking in the wrong direction, and it just appears out of the yeah. water. This huge thing erupts from the water and makes almost no sound. Just, yeah. I'm yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Yeah. No. By it's it's well made. You don't see a lot of it in a lot of ways. No, you know? it's fair. Yeah. But and you see enough to not feel like you're ripped off either. Oh no, not at all. No, it, you know you get you know a fairly good glimpse. But once again, the less you see of the creature, the more terrifying it is. This sort of solidifies for me. Like I enjoy the outdoors. I'm not going to yeah. not go outdoors. But yeah. um, my idea of roughing it is like a cabin with electricity. Yeah. You know, <laughs> maybe it has a wood burning stove, but it has a stove. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, I'm not just going to go out tootling around in the the swamp. I'll go in the touristy swamp tour. You know, with a group of twenty people. Well, you they you, take the you same. You never tour do. You never do a, a, a tent, Larry. <laughs> I've slept in tents. So, uh, like again, I, I'm. But I'm just. I'm not that adventurous that I need to, you know, go off the beaten path and yeah. and push my luck. Some people do it without thinking about it, you know. Mm-hmm. This these movies, these sort of cautionary tales like this one are all the justification I need. I can enjoy nature, but I can do so safely. I don't need to be breaking new territories and yeah. <laughs> and uh, risking anything because I got boys at home waiting for me and I don't want to be eaten by a giant crocodile. Yep, yeah, cuz that would be bad, Larry. But I will say, if you enjoy giant crocodile movies, this is one of them. And of the two giant crocodile movies that came out that year, this and Rogue, as much as I like Rogue, I think this is probably the better of the two movies. They're close. I was going to say that they're both good movies. Yeah, they're both solid. Yeah. It's, it's weird, these, these weird twinning things that happen with movies, where the same movie seems to come out simultaneously the same year. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Rogue and uh, Blackwater. Hello. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about Black? No, I think I have basically said everything I wanted to say on the subject. Jaws 2. The terror continues. In all the vast and unknown depths of the ocean, how could there have been only one? Jaws 2. Would you like to hear a fun fact that I learned about Jaws 2 on IMDb, Lee? I would, Larry. Why, yes. What, like what can you tell me? It's possible. Yeah. It's not like we already had this conversation 30 seconds ago. Yeah. Well, according to the always reliable IMDb, Jaws 2 is the first sequel to use the number 2. Really? Instead of the Roman numeral 2. I wonder why. No reason was given. But fun fact... 
about Jaws 2. Yeah. Uh, we talked about in the introduction that uh, following an act like Jaws just cannot be an easy thing. <laughs> no, you are basically being a sequel to one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah. And at the time, maybe they didn't know it was the greatest movie ever made, but they knew it was a huge, epic blockbuster. Yeah. And that, you know, they were re-releasing Jaws just to make it... it was, people were, were drowning in cash from the amount of money. People were scared away from the beaches. It was a significant cultural phenomenon. Yeah. And I understand from a fiscal point of view why making a sequel seemed to make sense. And sequels were not new. Sequels mm. did happen. They just yeah. weren't commonplace. Yeah. And as much as Jaws gets its sort of reputation or, or, or credited with sort of creating the summer blockbuster, mm-hmm. here we see, in a lot of ways, what would sort of become a prototypical sequel. Yep. I think in a lot of ways, Jaws 2 is better than a lot of movies with the number 2 behind it. It's not like the worst sequel ever made. No, no, it's not. Um, but it's completely smothered by Jaws 1. Oh, yeah. Uh, it is the best of the Jaws sequels, I can say oh, that. Oh, hands down. And hands if you, down. If you want to watch a shark movie, which I do, this is yep. another one. Yeah. Um, and it's, 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 I was going to say good. I'm going to maybe settle on okay. <laughs> you know? in, this, in the sort of general lexicon of, of sequels, Jaws 2, though, does commit one of the greatest sins, which is basically that it is not a terrible movie, but it's also not a great movie. It's 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 just there. I mean, sure, it's the start of, you know, a series that goes terribly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's it's okay, I guess, the sort of best way I want to want to put it. Um, it's a weird line to walk because you can be too similar to the first movie. Yeah. And it just seems like sort of a faint photocopy. Like, why did you even bother? Or you can go too different in which place, like, the, the fans feel like you've trespassed it. You know, yeah. you've, you've done an injustice to the yeah. original movie. I don't think Jaws 2 does an injustice to the original movie. The only one big bullshit moment is sort of the climactic ending of the movie, which we'll get to. Yeah. Um, but, uh... For the most part, I think in a lot of ways, they kind of improve on the shark effect. Well, we definitely see more of we it. We see more of the shark. The shark does work better, obviously. They, they, they went back to the drawing board and got a shark that actually worked. I, I, I know nothing of actually the, you know, the production stories of Jaws yeah. 2 except for you know the extras on the DVD where they had the actors talk about... Yeah. Well, sort of... there were so there were problematic issues, but it wasn't the production nightmare that the first Jaws was. Mm-hmm. There's great stories about they they actually put a uh, saddle on the back of the mechanical shark, mm-hmm. and the cameraman would ride on the saddle so he could get the shark point of view shots from the fin as it's going chasing after the girl on water skis and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of like clever like in, fairly ingenious, relatively new thought-out shots, because these were tough movies to make, especially yeah. at the time. They're shooting film, you know, they're yeah. shooting on the ocean. Not an easy feat. Yeah. And like I say, we get bits and blibs of the shark in the first movie, yeah. but typically in Jaws 1, the more we see the shark, the less convincing it is. Yeah. I'm not going to say the shark in Jaws 2 is 100% convincing, yeah. but on an attack-for-attack basis and a scene-for-scene basis, it's as or more convincing than the shark in Jaws 1. Yeah. Where it's not as good is obviously the characters and the screenplay. Yeah. And in a way, it's simultaneously too similar to the first movie. Well, it and is. Too it, different. It, 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 it's it is weird. more they of the same. They managed to do both. I'll, I'll, honestly, if they would have somehow sped up to the last 
act of this movie when the shark it's just the shark and the kids in the boat there's your movie right there because once that once we get to that part of the movie that movie has jump and actual terror like there is a general sense of dread yeah um i think it's a good idea i mean honestly you know the reef kind of took it kind of took it from there people stranded in a sort of community of boats yeah as this thing one by one starts to pick them up <laughs> they also like you're saying in the way they went two different and the same mm-hmm. we're grounded on the island Roy Scheider's back. Yeah. And infamously, he was not happy about it. Yeah. Uh, he had like a contract with the, the film company. He had two movies left, mm-hmm. but he backed out of doing Deer Hunter, which was probably an ouch to his career, but he decided he didn't want to do Deer Hunter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he would agree to do Jaws 2, but that would finish his contract. Even though he had two movies left, Jaws 2, then I'm out, right? Mm-hmm. And he clashed with the director quite a bit on set. Did he really? That said, Roy Scheider, professional actor, very Sche- solid performance in this movie. Yeah. If, if he hated being there, I did not see it anywhere in the performance. Yeah. No. Roy I like Sch- having Roy Scheider there because. Roy Scheider is one of my favorite actors of all time. Like, he is solid as a fucking rock. No matter what material you give him, he will yeah. give you. He will be as earnest as he can. He will sell you that scenario. Well, he's at, he has a pretty impressive filmography in a lot Until of ways. Until the last ten years of his career, I, I know. And then he, when, he, when he made sort of you know then flaky art movies and then. Yeah. Uh, you know, really bad, almost straight-to-DVD monster movies, kind of things like that. The but this is a dude that did, actor. obviously, Jaws, uh, Blue Thunder. Marathon Man. Marathon Man, yeah. so good. Clute. Yeah. I, lo- I love me some Roy Scheider. You're, yeah. you're, you're preaching to the choir as far oh, as yeah, Roy Scheider's concerned. He used to be a boxer. Did you know that? <laughs> I did not. Yes, that's uh, how he broke his nose. Lorraine Gary is also back. Who's really good in this movie. In fact, both I of them... Both only of them, know her from the Jaws movie. I know. It's kind of funny <laughs> that she never really sort of, you know, made something else. I don't know anything else she's made. Apparently she did some work in TV, but I haven't seen her much. Yeah. She's fine here, and uh, she has uh, some stuff to do. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Jaws the Revenge is still many years away for her, but that's oh. got to be a nader. That's got to be the nader. That's the one that torpedoed <laughs> the career. That's, that's, you know, her career jumped the shark. Sorry. But anyway, that. all the stuff on the island, what I'm trying to get to with yeah. Lorraine Gary and with Roy Scheider and, and don't forget Murray Hamilton Murray Hamilton who was dying during the making of this movie one of his last movies yeah he died, I think, didn't he die before the release his wife was ill he had to leave to go they, they shot his stuff in a real hurry yeah but basically he plays the same asshole mayor only yeah. he's a little bit nicer than he was in the first no movie. we have a different kind of asshole in this movie what's uh, his name but, it, but like I say, we've seen all that stuff on the island. Yeah. All of the stuff about the community not trusting the sheriff and all yeah. of the stuff about, you know, Brody thinking there's a shark, but it's not a shark. Yeah. We've seen that before. Oh, yeah. Too no, no. much the same. Yes. The other half of the movie is yeah. this whole cruising boat culture. Yeah. Right? All the kids out on the ocean uh, and their separate little, little rafts. Yeah. And uh, we get to know them peripherally before the events happen. Yeah. And different movie, right? Yeah. Oh no! Like, that, like I said, once we get to the kids and that shark is hunting them down, it's a really solid, dare I say, even action thriller. It's when really the good. shark is I present, have, the movie works. Oh yeah, I have to give credit to the, the kids, especially if it was like Anne Dusenberry. Do you remember her? Who did she play? She played Tina. She's oh, the, the one rescuer. <laughs> yeah, she's the one that's rescued quite you know quite early. Yeah, uh, but her boyfriend suffers a rather brutal, brutal death scene. Yeah. I mean, it's. 
And that's this thing the sequel does establish, and that you'll see in other sequels. They try and do the same thing, but bigger and meaner. Yeah. Right? The shark doesn't just grab this kid, but he rams him against the side of the boat, and his girlfriend's screaming and crying. Uh, The first attack ends in an explosion, which gives the shark a grisly burned scar. Yeah. I thought it was... I remember when I was a kid, it was like... I thought it was because... So we'd know it was that shark, but (laughs) which other shark would it have been? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, they try to make the shark a little bit more aggressive, and uh, it's not personal yet. That's not till part four, but you get the feeling like this shark's got a chip on its shoulder. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's, he is sorry, very, very, you know, very pissed off. Anyways, uh, you know, Anne Dusenberry, do you know who she's married to? I have no idea. Brad Fidel, where does that name sound familiar? I don't, I don't know. I feel dun, like dun, I'm dun, Jeopardy. Dun, 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 he made the score, he made that sound. Oh, okay. Fun fact. Yes, sorry. Random <laughs> come in time. No, yeah. Uh, once we get to the shark attacks, uh, and there are some good ones. The, the water skier, like mm-hmm. I say, the explosion off the, uh, of the first boat at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the divers. I'd like, anytime the shark's around, I'm really into this movie. Yeah. Uh, but when I was rewatching it for this podcast, I was really itching to skip over scenes in the in-between. I didn't, but yeah. I felt that impulse, and that's some of it, not a good thing. Some of it's sort of annoying, even the sort of, uh, who's the sort of second-in-command? The, the, his little deputy, his deputy? Yeah, well, what's his name? I don't know, he's one of the few people who came back from the original cast I know. as well. But, but what was the, his character's name, do you remember? I can't recall. Uh, this is why we need IMDb here. Ah, right. Anyways. Uh, yeah, the, the sort of goofy deputy character returns and uh, is uh, more used and a little bit more comic relief, but I could take or leave him. Yeah. yeah. There's a quote that I'm sort of re- reminded of. It's, I think it's by the great W.C. Fields, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he, sort of sa- he sort of said, don't ever star or work with children or animals. They'll always be the main star and outshine you. And the shark definitely is sort of the... It's the money maker. It's the selling point. Everything is sort of second to the shark in a yeah. lot of ways. It's the best character. It, well, and it's what we came to see. I mean, yeah. you do get your money's worth. The director is Jean-Noël Zwarek. Yes, he's had a TV career now. You yeah, know, he's mainly working in television. But yeah. I do want to give him some due credit. Yeah. These are not easy movies to make. No. This was made in the world way before CGI. Yeah. And there's a couple of genuinely convincing moments. Like... Mm-hmm. We know, because we know the behind the scenes, that this is a big uh, automated yeah. robot <laughs> animatronic shark. Mm-hmm. There's a scene uh, when we finally get the, the sort of boat crews and kids together, mm-hmm. and there's a calamity, and all the boats are tipped, yeah. and they're sort of stranded w- awaiting rescue, mm-hmm. where the boats are jarred and this little boy is knocked into the water. Yeah. And this woman gets into the water, gets the boy onto the boat, and the shark overtakes her, and she just disappears. Yeah, and there's that big screen. And uh, just, like, the angle on it, the look on it, it, like, it's a convincing moment. Like, (laughs) I don't think this actress was uh, eaten by a shark, but, I mean, as as much as you could make it in 1978, I fucking believe that shit got eaten by a shark in that shot, you know? And there are some really great moments. Yeah. But I keep on watching this movie and thinking back to... Remember Jaws? Yeah. Remember what a fucking amazing movie <laughs> Jaws is? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's one of the, you know, sort of the curse against the movie is that it is a sequel to, you know, a 
classic, classic movie. Yeah, and I think like I, I can rewatch Jaws and rewatch Jaws. This is a story. It's tale as old as time. Film film lovers discovered their love of film through Jaws. Jaws yeah. Um, but they'll watch it again and again and again, and finally they just need to. Maybe I should watch Jaws too. I can't handle Jaws anymore. And you watch Jaws too, and it sends you running right back yeah, to Jaws. Yeah, it's like uh, let's never <laughs> fight again. And then you go to Jaws three and four, and it sends you running for suicide. Wow. <laughs> Ouch. Is yeah. there anything else we need to say about Jaws too? Well, basically, let's talk about what's good about Jaws besides just the shark attack. I do love the relationship between Brody and his wife. Yep. The scene. You believe them. You believe yeah, them in a way that the kids are just kids. Yeah. The kids are prototypical horror movie elements you yeah. know um, but the you believe Brody and his wife and, and yeah. the, the strength of the family and that you know he loves the kids he knows and believes the sharks out there yeah. and she supports him in that yeah you know? there's a scene where he's been fired and he's come home drunk mm-hmm. uh, and he has that really good scene with Lorraine Gary uh, or is it Lorraine Gary Lorraine Gary I yeah Lorraine Gary where you know she comforts him as he's obviously depressed and you know drunk and you know starts to fall asleep there's some really good acting moments not as good as the moment between him and his son and <laughs> original Jaws but let's not talk about that movie okay. it's it's Jaws 2 um yeah the guy who sort of stars in Christine I can't remember Keith Gordon Keith Gordon, is, Keith yeah. Gordon. I, was gonna, I want to talk about he's him. got a supporting role in he's actually movie. an accomplished director yeah A Midnight Clear Waking the Dead The Singing Detective and Mother Night yeah those are just movies like this guy made a lot of pretty good movies. I'm glad he found his way to direct. He also to, to be honest, I, I never was blown away with him as an actor. Well, <laughs> but he's in what, what uh, that... Uh, I know him from basically this and Christine. Yeah, he's also in that uh, yeah, Brian De Palma one. Right, Dressed to D- Kill. Dressed to Kill, yeah. I know he had a bit of a career. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, this Keith Gordon has you know, been on to make... But I clear it's really good, dude. Yeah. It's really, really good. How is the singing detective? Never seen it. All right. Well, let's not <laughs> let's let's not do well on that. Just too, Larry. Anything else you want to say? Again, uh, I, it seems like we're being really hard on it. It's adequate when the shark is there. If you want to see shark attacks, that's fine. I guess yeah. the the thing that the only thing that really rings my bullshit meter is yeah. the very end of the movie. Chief right. Brody pulls the uh, this little big cord. Oh, out I think from the there's water. a bigger bullshit moment right before that with the helicopter. Well, he it's a helicopter, yes. But okay. as far as Brody being in a survivable situation, yeah. he lifts this cord out of the water and starts whacking it with the paddle to get the shark's attention. The shark charges and instead of biting him bites the cord and it is so severely electrocuted that it basically explodes and yeah. Brody's right there he's like basically the shark is in his lap yeah. but the shark is electrocuted and Brody isn't and it makes a bit of a roaring sound when it happens yes and it's one of those things like it doesn't happen anywhere else in Jaws that I can remember where, where, like Sharks just don't make sounds. Well, it, I mean, when it did blow up, there is that sort of lion's roar right after. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but still, uh, you know, I mean, I was never, you know, and I, I know it's not a real shark, and you know, saying that's fake in a yeah. Jaws movie, you're probably not in the right headspace. Yeah, but that was the sort of one moment where I was like, yeah. But to be honest. The the tank in the shark's mouth in Jaws One is not the most credible thing either. But no, we love I know. that movie so much by that point that we just want to see that shark blow up, and it's perfect, yeah. right? In this movie, it was like, oh well, it's over now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Jaws Two, check it out. You guys hear that? 
Totally a dog person. There's a dog in this house as we speak. I'm 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 allergic to cats, so I guess that is a is a sort of medical predisposition against them. I, I it's not that I dislike cats, but uh, I think dogs are just better. <laughs> yeah. I know that they're more upkeep and they're more work as a pet, but they love you more, and the the relationship I feel is more rewarding. It's a two way street. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's just my. This is just one person talking. You're talking to a person who owns a dog, loves a dog, <laughs> has been around lots of dogs. I feel dogs have actually been a big part of my life now that I sort of think about it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, uh, dogs have been a great source of joy and misery to me through my life because I love them so much that when I lose them, it really is like a family member that goes. I just love the shit out of dogs. So um, uh, here we are looking at this movie, The Breed, in which we are going to see the dogs very villainized. And uh, we know from, from countless t- cases in the real world that when dogs are mistreated uh, or they're bred for the purposes of fighting and violence, uh, they can be very problematic. I am preaching to the choir here because Lee dealt with these things and could probably tell more stories than I could uh, about it. So we both know and have a real understanding that as much as a dog can be just absolutely pure joy, so excited it's practically pissing itself and falling on the floor and rolling on its back and scratching his belly, happy dog. The flip side of that coin can be absolutely terrifying. When a dog is serious and cornered and means business, (laughs) even a small dog can be, whoa, you're fucking scary. (laughs) So I'm kind of surprised that they're not used as sort of horror devices more often. But upon watching the breed, I have a suspicion maybe why this is the case. Yeah. Do you know where I'm going with this? I do. I do. I think we've actually... I know where you're going quite a bit, but... I think that the setup for the movie, as familiar as it is, works fine enough. we got a group of young, pretty people who are going to a remote cabin on an island to party and whoop it up and be young people. Be very hedonistic. They're as much types as they are characters. Mm. Uh, Michelle Rodriguez plays the same character she plays in every single movie mm, <laughs> that she ever does. She's like... Uh, I, I hate to say it, but the tough sort of butchy chick. Yeah, she's a tough yeah. chick with moxie. Yeah. Sometimes she's tough to a fault, but she's always just you know raring to get in it right yeah. um that's neither here nor there i just kind of would like to see her do something else just for once yeah because i can't think of a role with her where she didn't just play michelle rodriguez it seems um but anyway the basic setup is completely adequate it doesn't distinguish itself in any way but here are types here they go to the remote location where we run into problems is the actual for me anyway the the dogs themselves when you got them up close and the camera growling, yeah, you can make them look scary and intimidating. But when they show them out running in the wild, they look sparkly clean, a lot of them, first of all. That's that's one of the things I call bullshit on. If they're supposed to be these feral dogs. And their tails are wagging. And their yeah. tongues are hanging out of their yeah. mouth. And what that tells me is that 
they were really well treated, and I'm glad that they were really well treated. Yeah, uh, you you believe uh, the whole no animals were harmed during the making of this film? In fact, they probably loved almost every. Absolutely, single... I bet you it was a real fun set to be on because yeah. I bet you those dogs were all awesome. Yeah. Because I did not, except for a few close-up shots where you get a dog snarling or barking, did not feel any real intimidation. I don't know if this was partially because of my personal love for dogs, but yeah. again and again in scenes in this movie where I was supposed to be feeling scared, I was kind yeah, of like, oh. <laughs> I know that, that you know, the, the like, chasing in the water from the airplane, there's no way those dogs are hating that moment. <laughs> when they shot that, there was like, nah, fuck it, this is so much fun, yeah. You know that their owner is right off camera with a handful of chicken for them. Yeah. <laughs> and they can't wait. Yeah, it's like, oh, this is great. Yeah, and that no. takes away from it. Um, yeah, that chasing from the boat is ridiculous because you can clearly see the tail like wagging, wagging, wagging. So you really have to go with the movie, I think. Now, I, I know other people haven't had this reaction. I've heard mm-hmm. people say that it, you know, that they didn't notice that. But for me, yes, they are too clean and too happy yeah, for the I, most I, part to be really if, scary. if these animals are out in the wild and not getting shots for sure there'd be like the increase of mange their their coats would be raggedy they would they would a lot of them would be scarred up yeah um so the fact that they're you know their coats are shining and well kept for the most part there's one dog that's got one obviously you know painted on glued on scar kind of thing yeah but all the dogs look way too healthy, and that sort of—that's one of the many things that sort of takes you out of the movie right away. Uh, as well, the you know we've got a but honestly, I think the good word would be, would be stock characters. They're yeah. not really you know deep characters. They're sort of you know cheap caricatures, if you will. Um, we even have the sort they're of, not so bad as to like totally wag my finger at, but like I said at the beginning, they don't distinguish themselves in any way. I mean, they even have the sort of token black guy who, who dies first. You know, who I, honestly, I'm waiting to say like, damn. <laughs> well, he doesn't die first. Okay, there's someone else on the island who they don't know who I guess That's dies right. first, but he's the first of the group to die. <laughs> and yeah. again, no tears are shed, particularly like. Uh, we didn't want him to die, but we weren't surprised by his death or deeply affected yeah. by it. I also wanted to talk about Taryn Manning. Um, I have yet to catch up with Orange is the New Black, so apparently if I watch that, I'll be impressed with Taryn Manning. Well, I mean, from what it, it, the material makes her better, I will say that as well. It is, you know, a well-fleshed-out character. From what comes to mind of me, for me, with Taryn Manning, I watched her, I saw her in a zombie movie, I saw her in this movie, that movie Spun... I saw her, she's, you know, she's been in things. Mm. But I always get this kind of like, yeah, whatever, Taryn Manning delivery. I don't know, I just don't, I don't see acting there. I see a cute girl, and uh, she says the line she's supposed to say. Uh, Maybe it's me, I don't know. Wasn't she in Hustle and Flow as well? I don't think I saw that. Well, you should. I must be missing her A-game. Her heart didn't seem in it here, and... uh, I think she plays a good sort of, you know... Weirdsville. I saw her in Weirdsville, too. Uh, you know, she's good at playing this sort of, I, I, I hate to say it, addicted sort of, I hate that, I hate this word, skank role. Really sort of like down and dirty. I don't get skank. I get sort of weird junkie chic. Yeah, that's, like, a, that's a better word. Someone needs to feed her or because maybe like a trailer park kind yeah. of vibe to her. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But like I, sh- I never see her disappearing into a character. For some reason, I'm always looking at Taryn Manning. Yeah. And again, it might just be me because uh, I seem to be in the minority. And I don't want to yeah. eat up the whole review on the hate. Uh, 
she looks good in a bikini, so yeah. whatever. That's basically the role that the girls in this movie play before the dogs show up is, look at our boobies, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You don't get to actually see the real deal, so you can keep this nice and PG, but yeah. we're going to get as close to showing you our boobies as we can. Yeah, this, you know, this film came out in the whole sort of decade of uh, after the, the success of Screen. It's got that sort of feel that Screen had a little bit. This is the, the DP who did the Screen yeah. series, if you will, quadrilogy. Yeah, um, so it, it feels helps, to know being no with with the. It feels very the, much of that sort of yeah, kind of ilk, mm-hmm. you know, much like Wishmaster or what was the other one, uh, Dracula two thousand and whatnot. There's something a little unambitious to me, like uh, as far as like the screenplay and the setup. Yeah, uh, they, it could have worked as just a bunch of feral dogs on an island, but they and come up with that movie has been done before as well. Yeah, with the pack, I think. But you know, they find that there's an installation, and the yeah. dogs were being scientifically fucked with to make them particularly bizarre or strong yeah. or whatever. But I don't get a lot of ex- the best example of the the dogs' quote unquote intelligence. Yeah, happens at the beginning and at the end of the movie. At the beginning of the movie, they're smart enough to bite the rope that tethered the. Uh, plane that got them to the island and yeah. so the plane drifts away yeah uh thus stranding them that yeah. seems pretty problem solving intelligence and then at the end the hilarious jump scare at the end that somehow they put a planted dog inside the boat and it locked itself in it closed the door behind it when it went inside so when they opened the door the, the dog was thinking the... i'm really gonna show that <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. i'm gonna play possum ridiculous <laughs> But I guess it was a smart move on the dog's part because he was going to get the jump on somebody. Yeah, there's a lot of huge suspension of disbeliefs kind of thing going on with this movie that become that do become too much. If it was a little bit better of the movie or if I was more scared of yeah. the dogs, I probably wouldn't be thinking about it as much and yeah. just go with the movie. But The reveal that they're gen- genetically modified, though, I at that point I was sort of like, oh, really done. But then... If they're going to do that, then let's show them jump unnaturally far or let them be stronger than usual. Let them break through a wall to yeah. attack at them. Then you're like, oh, shit, <laughs> right? They're not safe anywhere, right? That raises the stakes. Yeah. To me, they're just being chased by these friendly puppies, you know? And the worst that's going to happen if they get caught by these dogs is that they're going to get licked to death. <laughs> yeah, really, because, you know, like, the moment they said cut the dogs, like, oh, oh, I love you, love you. <laughs> yeah, I know, you do firmly believe, but, you know, when that thing comes up, that, you know, no animals were harmed during the making of this film. Um... And nobody stretched themselves as the actors. I kind of almost got the feeling like the actors knew this was kind of a B-level project. Yep. Uh, it it looks like it's made for television. It's not, but it kind of feels like it is. Yep. Uh, for all the negative things I'm saying, like, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. But it's, like, the very average movie. I think the script eventually does fail the movie. Um, those actors had to choke down some really bad lines. Like, whoa. Or just moments that should land and be big and emotional yeah. that aren't. Yeah. Taryn Manning bravely sacrificing herself to save the group. Yes. Meh. Yeah. <laughs> like, meh. Yeah. Uh, Michelle Rodriguez climbing that cable despite her wounded. Yeah, team. not once did I really think she was in yeah, any danger. I was danger. not worried for her at all. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's kind of where I am on the breed. It, it's a movie of could have beens, but it I don't know if one hundred percent nails it. There's a lot worse movies than the breed, but there's enough better ones to not recommend it. It was filmed in sunny South Africa as well. Yeah. well that's a nice trip for them. Yeah, <laughs> the, I think maybe maybe near Durban or something. Anyways, yeah, no, the breed is like I said at you know at best it's 
sort of meh mediocre. It's got some real problems. Blind Alley here. Back in the day for me, like the uh, early 80s, 90s, I had Super Channel. Yeah. And uh, in the interstitials in between movies, they would have little fillers. Yeah. And there was a guy who did pet tips. He would come on and he would tell you how to take care of your dog and how to discipline your dog and how to train your dog. And I guess that's the guy they needed for this movie. Yeah. Because I could tell watching that that those dogs were fucking terrified of him. Yeah. And that when the cameras weren't rolling, he probably had a chair and a whip at least, right? (laughs) Those dogs were scared of him. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Unfortunately, because the animals in this movie were so well-loved and cared for, they failed to scare me. (laughs) So, I guess, if you really want to make scary animals, you're going to have to abuse them in the name of entertainment. (laughs) And do not do that, ladies and gentlemen. Because we love dogs. No, I mean, you know, when the final credits of the read kind of came up, it sort of, you know, brought me back to other stories, you know, stories that I've experienced with dogs and how dangerous they can be. And not really once did I, you know... Come close to feeling that watching. No, not at all. Not at all. We live in a province where dogs have killed people. That's yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. There's a famous case at northern Saskatchewan. Yeah, where boy someone... got destroyed. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, no. There is a good dog movie to be made. And, and you can do it. Yeah. You can do it. Cujo by Louis T is really, you know. Solid. It's solid. It's really good. He's got some creaks and moans, but it's still, still very good. So you can do a, you know, a great killer dog movie. And they really should. They should go back to this well at some point. Yeah. I think make it a single dog. You know, you can even make a dog like there are wolves that mate with dogs and create these hybrids that are very scary and very aggressive. And there are dogs that have actually hunted through the city. You know, they've hunted after other dogs and, you know, other kids that can live successfully and become quite feral and, you know, live in, you know, in some sort of community. And for a long, long time, you can do it. It's just not this movie. Yeah, sounds like a better movie than this was. Yeah. Oh my god. Holy. Lions don't do this. Lions never had a lair like this. They're doing it for the pleasure. They are not lions. They are the ghost and the darkness. We're in a race, Colonel. And the prize is the continent of Africa. We are building the most expensive and daring railroad in history for the glorious purpose of saving Africa from the Africans and, of course, to end slavery. How many do you think they've killed? Hundred, maybe more. So the case of the Tsavo lions is a very interesting anomaly. It's an amazing true story. Um... Apparently, during the construction of the, of the train bridge in uh, mid continent Africa, um, in 1896, to in 1896, exactly. two lions were no, were said to claim over a hundred human beings off of this work crew, and not only that, but when their lair was discovered, they were keeping the kills with them in the lair, which is unprecedented behavior for lions, like. These lions behaved so differently from typical lions that the local native people there gave them these names, the ghost and the darkness, because they didn't believe them to be just lions. They, were, they couldn't catch them, and they struck again and again and again. 
Now, of course, this is not a modern story. This is a <laughs> historical piece. Mm -hmm. But because it's a true piece of history, and because you can go to a museum and look at these two lions stuffed in them on display, it, it gives it a little bit extra weight. So for me, it's kind of, in a way, disappointing that they turned it into such a ridiculous popcorn movie. Because this is a true story, and that's what's scary and fucked up about it, right? And it's given such ludicrous treatment as to be almost impossible to take seriously. I know. <laughs> and I think this subject, taking seriously... It's such an amazing story, what I know. Horrifying. Horrifying. Um, so it's, it, it sort of doesn't live up to the potential of the story. Yeah. But if you ask me, is Ghost in the Darkness an entertaining movie... I'm going to say yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Despite loud, large flaws, I am entertained <laughs> by the ghost in the darkness. Here's about ghost in the darkness. <laughs> it is the perfect example for the acronym KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> All the stuff that they changed or added for the movie totally hurt this movie in the biggest, biggest way. You don't need Michael Douglas doing his best Jack Nicholson impersonation. <laughs> Change of plans. Yeah. <laughs> that character is completely fictitious. And, the, and Michael du Douglas is acting in a totally different movie. You don't need him. He's way, way over the top. Like, like cartoon character over the top. Yeah. But he is kind of like amusing, <laughs> like at the same time. He's so can't... he's so machismo that his character name should just be Captain Machismo. It undermines the credibility yeah. of the movie, which is already shaky for me because our lead uh, Val Kilmer, who's in full-on career breakdown at this point, mm -hmm. uh, this is one of the last actually major starring roles he's going to get for a while. Uh, his Irish accent is in and out. Yeah. Sometimes it's entirely gone, sometimes it's a little hard, heavy, and sometimes it's passable so that I'm not distracted by it. You know but it is not uniform throughout the movie. Yeah. Scene for scene, you're getting anywhere from a C- minus to an A- minus performance out of Val Kilmer, yeah. depending on his mood that day, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know you're watching a bad Val Kilmer performance, then when about halfway through you kind of go... Wait a second, his hair is perfectly gelled. There's no way that it would be perfectly <laughs> gelled. Wait a second, did I just sort of think about that? Am I just that much invested in Val Kilmer? I also want to point out that this movie is written by William Goldberg. I know! Like, this man knows how to write a movie. He wrote this The Princess Bride. He wrote Butch he Cassidy. Stand By Me in Misery. He did Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Marathon Man. This a, man is not a hack. Accomplished novelist and screenwriter. Mm -hmm. uh, so, it's sort of surprising some of the real heavy-handed symbolism and, I think, cliched character moments in it. Mm -hmm. Again, as we said at the beginning of this review, they don't know how many people these lions killed, but the estimates are over a hundred. Mm -hmm. So significant. You know what you're And was? a lot of these people we don't know or care about. They're just random they're black workers out in the field, right? Yeah, that's and they get hauled out into the wilderness. The way they make us care about what happens is by killing off the white characters. I'm yeah, sorry, but, but it's absolutely true. No, the it, doctor, it, yeah. the little oh, know, religious know, guy, like... There's a lot of sort of, you know... What's the word I'm looking for here? Systematic racism going on in this movie. <laughs> uh, 
Um, we should know the work crew that's being attacked by and, these lions. And there's your movie right there. Focus more on, you know, I, I hate I hate to say it, the black people. The, the people you know, who are suffering. The yeah. people who are living in fear yeah. of these lions. Uh, like, it's a... It, it when, drives me crazy. One of the more interesting characters is that really tall, you know, African. That one, you know, very skinny, but also very, very strong. The one who, you know, apparently, you know, killed the lion with his bare hands. Yeah. Or was also a lion, lion killer, is yeah. what they called him. He had a reputation of being tough. And the fact that he fell to the lions yeah. made them extra terrified of him. Yeah. But we are allowed to know him with basically one scene, right? Yeah. With one scene where he's introduced, one scene where he's in the scene, and another scene where he is killed. Yeah. That yeah. is it. Yeah. Uh, when the dog, doctor dies, because we spend time with the doctor, we feel like that's too bad. When the guy who's trying to convert all of Africa into Christianity dies, we're supposed like, to feel. That, we we yeah. feel more about it. He was nowhere near the lion. Like they had to like they had to come up with the craziest ways to put him in danger because he wouldn't have been near it. He wouldn't have been near it. Mm-hmm. It's really focused on the white characters and mm-hmm. like. Um, Maybe that's the way they could f- make it a, a saleable movie. But to tell this story, you got to talk about the people who were in danger, who were in immediate threat. Mm-hmm. Basically, as far as I'm concerned, Val Kilmer is kind of the villain of this, that he allows over 100 people to die <laughs> before this is properly dealt with. Mm-hmm. That he fights the people who are trying to leave the area because it's dangerous, because it will, it will get him fired. It will cost him personally his job. Mm-hmm. But their lives have less weight to him than his job. Right? I should hate this movie. But, 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 despite these large, loud flaws, which I acknowledge, um, and, and like blatantly obvious symbolism, almost as an apology, I think that uh, the uh, one sort of black character that we get to know well, who sort of helps organize the workers and is sort of uh, Val Kilmer's right hand man, mm-hmm. there's a scene after they've killed one of the lions where they're all getting drunk around a fire. Mm-hmm. And Val Kilmer and Michael Douglas are drinking out of the bottle, and he, the one you know, quote tribal guy, is the only person there drinking out of a glass. Yeah. And this is like, oh, brilliant symbolism. And just again, like everything else, it just felt so heavy-handed, right? Yeah. No subtlety to this movie at all. But where it delivers is lions eating people yeah well, some of it's a little or even a lot cg yeah there's there's <laughs> some bad cgi lion in this no word of a lie but there's a great sequence where they get one of the lions trapped in this uh, back of this basically stage cart contraption and three guys armed with rifles fire at it point blank and fail to kill it and apparently that's a true story that actually went down yeah <laughs> Either they panicked or, or like they were they, the bullets were ricocheting off the bars, but they could not kill this lion when it was right in front of them and it managed to get out of the trap. That scene works really well. You know, the, the sort of deterioration of the Val Kilmer character where, you know, at the beginning he's prim, proper and well-kept. Yeah. And by the end, you know, he's burning the fields and he's like this ragged zombie and this personal vendetta against these lions, yeah. right? That works well enough. There's an absolutely ludicrous dream sequence, which could be edited out of the movie oh, and yeah, would have yeah. lost nothing. nothing. Yeah. But I laugh out loud every single time. And you know the second it starts, it is the dream sequence. It's almost as bad as the one from Halloween 2, that zombie sequel. It's just 
So tacked on and not needed. <laughs> Heavy handed. Yeah. And like, then, yes, about halfway through the movie, Michael Douglas shows up playing this Hunter Remington. His name is Remington. Is it Remington? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes, Remington. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, again, total like his balls are in his throat. Just a total. <laughs> they're, not just, they're not just by his throat, they are outside of his throat. They're his Adam's apple. Yeah. But again, like, we're not really given much of a reason to like this guy other than he's badass. We know that, you know, he was on the Confederate side of the Civil War yeah. and he abandoned the United States upon losing. Yeah. So it's kind of weird to see that he's so respectful of all the black people considering he was fighting to keep them slaves. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Let's yes. just gloss over that. Yeah. You know, um, the only character who's less one-dimensional than Remington is the guy played by uh, uh, Wilkinson. Tom Wilkinson. Tom Wilkinson, yeah. who hires uh, Val Kilmer and says outright, I'm a monster. Yeah. I am a cartoon character monster. Hate yeah. me. Hate me, audience. And he does everything he can to live up to it. But the fact that the screenplay, again, written by William Goldman, has the character implicitly telling you that he's a villain instead of showing you, yeah. which is like screenwriting 101. Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah. Even great authors, you know, shell out a turd once in a while. I just can't believe it was, you know, this bad. It's not this bad. so bad as to completely not recommend it, but yeah. I have to basically say, yeah, no, there's flaws all over the place. Like, I can't sugarcoat it. This movie's got big problems. Yeah. But I own it. It's on my wall. It's and strange for a movie that I know, uh, for, a, for a movie that I know that is not pretty terrible, actually. Uh, I've seen it at least five times. Stephen Hawkins, for, for some reason, you know... He makes watchable movies. <laughs> with, you know, almost good ideas to them. Yeah. Um, Predator 2 is... I've seen it way more than I should have. <laughs> Anyways. I'm not going to help you defend Predator 2. I don't yeah. think I'm quite there yet. It could be that I want to like this movie. I mean, I like I like the story. Yeah. Let's have alliance that they deserve. A shadow should be training. also to Ampuri. They should have had more him. He's the guy that sort of... Uh, Speaks on behalf of the workers. Yeah. yeah. It mediates between the two or three tribes that go on there. Honestly, focus he's more... He's the hero. He's the guy who's trying to save people's yeah. lives. He sort of... You know, focus more on that tension as well because, you know, that's something that affected a whole lot of people because of these lions. Yeah. Um, and, and that could have easily added to the story. You don't even need the doctor character. Yeah. Uh, Michael Douglas, interesting fellow. I think he's actually a very strong actor. Can be. He's not always in great movies, but usually even if he's in a bad movie, he's good in it. Yeah. Uh, but what gets underlooked is his producing career. He produced this movie, but starting with One Flew Over the, the Cuckoo's, Cuckoo's Nest. Nest yeah, uh, no, there was a time where he was a big Hollywood producer. He's had a lot of success. I believe Star he, produ he produced Starman as well. Was it Ordinary? No, Redford did Ordinary. Yeah. Produced. Anyway, he's got a really good uh, sort of produced, believe it or not, Face Off. With John Travolta and, and Nick Cage. Uh, so, you know, I think he can smell a good property. And I think that he... You know, he got this concept. He, he bought the rights to the Zabo Lions, which, mm -hmm. good concept. And then he hired William Goldman to write it. Mm -hmm. Great writer, you yeah. know. Stephen Hopkins may not be a guaranteed A-plus, but he's an efficient, you know. He gets the job he done. He gets the job done. He can make it look well, and he does big-budget Hollywood movies. And, like, I understand on paper this movie looking like a slam dunk. Yeah. But really, 
If you're going for the lion attacks, you're gonna you're gonna get your money's worth. Yeah. If you're going to learn anything, or if you're like trying to get an idea of what it would have been really like to live in this time and to have gone through such a horrifying experience, I do think the movie fails. Yeah. It fails to tell the story it sets out to tell, and yet it succeeds in entertaining. And that seems like hypocrisy somehow, but that's where I land. Keep it simple. Keep it simple, stupid. Uh, you know, just just the story of even Val Kilmer and the lions. And, you know, pay more focus to the, you know, the people that were seriously affected by it. Yeah. Uh, and there's your movie. You don't need, you don't need the Michael Douglas character. You don't. Another thing that, that I never quite got is why would, you know, it was female lions that did this, not male lions. Why have the lions with manes? No. Even female lions, like, they look terrifying. They are sleeker. They're the ones that are the hunters, not the males in a lot of ways. I mean, if you stumble yeah. across a male, it'd be like, hello, lunch. Yeah. But it's the females that are actually, work, you know, typically, yeah. and do the, you know, real hunting. So I don't understand why they, you know, needed to change that as well. The changes they made to the story, at least what I know of, are not needed. Yeah. They're really not. I think that's where the movie, utter, you know, ultimately fails. You know, if you just would have, like I said, focus on that angle, there's your movie. I agree completely. And yet I'll watch it again. I know. And I know that I, <laughs> at some point I will see it again too. We have zero oars. We have a hole in the side of our boat. And then, oh yeah, there's a giant flesh-eating fish. And the only thing that thing knows is that whatever's in the water, it's gonna eat. Are you volunteering to get in the lake to create a diversion? This is insane. We're gonna die if we do nothing. I think we should vote. So I was trying to do some research on this movie. I was just find some fun facts about it to, mm -hmm. to share during the podcast. Uh, it's weird. I couldn't find a lot written about the movie, and a lot of what I found written about the movie was very, very negative. Um, uh, one article I uh, was entitled, When Bad Movies Happen to Good Directors, which wow. was like, ouch. Uh, this movie is directed by Larry Fessenden. Uh, it's the first feature that he's directed that he didn't personally write. I don't know this. I don't know Larry Fessenden personally. I just know this as a fan of Larry Fessenden, a guy who watched the special features. Mm -hmm. I know that the man is obsessed with Jaws. Yeah. Like he made a model, a scale model of the Orca boat for fun because he loved Jaws that much, right? He's into the Jaws. Mm -hmm. And I think that he saw this screenplay that was being produced for this chiller network in the United States mm -hmm. that was going to be produced with a very modest budget. Mm -hmm that uh, he saw an opportunity to attempt to do his sort of low-budget Jaws. Mm. And I think that the biggest sort of drawback to the movie is the fact that it was so low-budget yeah, that yeah. I don't know that it 100% accomplishes convincing us of the scenario. There's an interesting article that I read of Larry when, that, when this film first came out, both on video on demand and they released it briefly in theaters. And he talked about the constraints of the budget and how it did, in the end, hurt the movie somewhat. Yeah. The fish, for all intents and purposes, looks fake. It's a big rubber fish in yeah, the water. But it still works. Um, it's the same effects com country, company, country? company that mm -hmm. the, they sort of specialize in low-budget productions. They did a movie I just recently talked about on the podcast in quite light called mm -hmm. Splinter. Yeah. Um, and the special effects, low-budget but effective. They, yeah. they, did, they look good to me, right? Yeah. Um, so good choice. Um, and apparently Fessenden had a hand in de designing the fish because he wanted the fish to look real. Yeah. 
They, they, they chose to not go CGI, mm-hmm. and I respect that choice. Yes. But in the end, it absolutely hurt them. Yeah. Um, I think that because the fish fails to be convincing, 90% of the audience will not meet the movie halfway. Yeah. And if most of the audience isn't going to meet the movie halfway, then it's hard for me to endorse it. I will say, I came into this a fan of Larry Fessenden, Mm -hmm. and I walk away from the movie still a fan of Larry Fessenden, Mm -hmm. and I think there are really strong beats in the movie. But other than you and a few of my my friends who are really deep into the horror movies, who Mm -hmm. I think they can get it Mm -hmm. and look past the very cheap well, I have a hard time really knowing a lot of people that I would recommend this movie to mm-hmm. I recommend it too but my recommendation is a three three and a half star review right it's not foaming at the mouth yeah. and typically when I talk about Larry Fessenden I'm usually foaming at the mouth I actually typically really like this guy yeah no, he's and made some good stuff the directing is solid. The script has problems. The Last Winter is really good. Yeah, The Last Winter is wonderful. Windigo is very atmospheric, you know, mm-hmm. habit. He, he does cool movies. Yeah. Um, and the atmosphere is good. And the, the situation, if it had been, if, if it's 100% believable, yeah. I think would have worked on anyone. For yeah. me, because I'm willing to go with it, I meet it halfway and I like it. Yeah. But they're within, basically, we didn't really talk about the plot, but these kids get themselves out to the middle of this lake, which has a lore and a history about it, that there's yeah. a big catfish in it or whatever. Yeah. And lo and I behold, think it's more a mutant pike myself. Yes. But. Well, uh, whatever the kind of fish it is, it's way bigger than it should be, and it's weirdly territorial. And uh, whether or not you want to believe the sort of native hoodoo, they've been disrespectful to the environment and being loud, rowdy kids and not respecting the, the lake if this is some sort of morality punishment, uh, once they realize that they're stranded out in this water and this fish means to eat them, they quickly turn on each other. And yeah. who's the real monster is not so subtly explored. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it would have been more effective if we couldn't see the shoreline immediately all around yeah. them. Like, I wanted to feel like they're way out in the middle. Like, maybe the shore's out there, you can see it, but it's not something you can just dog paddle to. I felt like they were too close to the shore. I felt like they could splash their way to shore. If someone's being attacked by the fish, all of the rest of them could get out. Like, I like really believe that. Yeah. I understand the choice because it was a constraint of budget, and when you're shooting on something on the water, it's very difficult. The yeah. more water, the more difficult. Yeah. yeah. I get that. But most people watching the movie will just say, why the fuck don't you just swim to shore? And which Jolene did as, you know, she watched it. Yeah. Um, and, and But then there's scenes that are shockingly effective. Yo. The first death, yeah. the woman reaching for the paddle, they all swim away from the fish, they get on the boat, but they need the paddle to get out of there. She's reaching for the paddle and the fish surfaces, yeah. and it's a fairly decent pop scare. You know it's coming, but it works yeah. well enough. But it looks like it didn't even touch her, like she just pulls her arm away and it's fine. And everybody starts panicking, freaking out, the paddle's gone, what are they going to do, what are they going to do? And one of them notices that she's bleeding under her arm, and she lifts her arm out, and all of a sudden she's like bleeding squirting and clearly it's cut her artery yeah and they're out in the middle of the lake and they can't do anything about it so she slowly dies in front of them yeah that death was really strong that really really worked and i felt it even though she was the first character to go we didn't know her that well like it felt bad and when they put her body in the water and it gets pulled down by the fish you you know i felt it in my gut probably worse than any of the other deaths in the movie um one of the miracles of uh, of the script is that it for the most it it makes we have a really engaging story 
with really unlikable characters, with the exception of her. Yeah. They're all pretty, not really good human beings yet. I mean, we yes, they lose the heart first. Yeah. yeah. And there really is nobody to cheer for. Yeah. Like, the the kid who's recording everything, I guess, isn't a total dick. He's just irritating. Oh, he's a... But, uh... He's a dick. But, you know, I'm a little bit tired. If you're going to do a found footage movie, do a found footage movie. I, I get a little bit tired with that character, the guy who's filming everything, so they can use the first-person camera for a sequence when they kill that character. Yeah. Which is exactly what they do here. Yep. And in that case, that death is exactly what we expected. Uh, be it good, be it bad, you're going there for B-movie thrills, whatever. Mm -hmm. But that's the sort of sneaky thing about The Beneath, why I can't just dismiss it as a lame rubber fish movie. It's because it's not just interested in people being eaten by a rubber fish. No, no. It's more about these people turning on each other and these people being bad people. Yeah. (laughs) And maybe even deserving their fate. There are there are greater monsters in the boat than the one almost ba- well almost outside of the boat in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, the fact that you know essentially the one brother takes out physically takes out two three of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, the script. It. I'll say this about the beneath. The script needed another pass, and I think it it would have been there. By I, all accounts, Fessenden did take large chunks of script out. Yeah. Apparently there was flashbacks which sort of established some of their relationships and sort of the lore of the lake around it. Yeah. And he decided to streamline it and keep the movie as much in the boat as possible. Yeah. And I get that as a directorial choice. And I think it was probably the right one, having not, of course, read the script. Yeah. And maybe that background of the lake would give it more ominousness and it would make the rubber fish feel less fake because it, it seems less out of nowhere. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But, Yeah. I think that a lot of people will dismiss the movie on the fact that it's a big rubber fish, and yeah. a lot of people who don't dismiss the big rubber fish will dismiss it because they hate all of the characters. But it still works. <laughs> That's one thing that, that I'm sort of impressed by. It works. Like, you are engaged. The uh, movie successfully does everything it sets out to do. Yeah. I mean, the fish could look better, but I mean, as far as, you know, the fish attacking people, people screaming, swimming away from the fish, people yep. being eaten, does that. As far as the inner turmoil and the frustration and the evil that sort of, pr- pr- well, it's always been there, but really yep. sort of comes front and center in the group, that's done really well. It's just, you, you, I just got this feeling like if they had more money and more of a budget that instead of being an okay movie that uh, hardcore horror fans could get behind, mm. that it could have been a mini Jaws. Yes. The movie that he was setting out to make. Yep. Um, I will say of the Larry Fessenden films that I've seen, there's only one that I haven't been able to get my hands on, that Beneath is my least favorite. Yeah. yeah. And I will say that I have a hard time recommending it to just anyone. But if you're listening to this review and you're still curious to watch the movie... By all means. Give it a day in court. Yes. Uh, but... It's weird. We just reviewed The Ghost in the Darkness where I was saying the movie has large flaws, but I like it anyway. For a different reason. I think that I like Ghost in the Darkness because it's superficial, flash and dash, well done, Hollywood executed filmmaking. I like The Beneath because it has more ambition than just being a fish movie. It just doesn't have the money to 100% pull it off. There's some good beats in this movie. Character beats well-written scenes 
There's the tow line in the boat where the boats get all wrapped around and the guy gets strangled just by the tension yeah. in, the, in the in the rope. Yeah. Apparently that's a not uncommon boating accident that takes place, but I've never seen it on film. And, uh, you know, I think the, the, the corpse looks kind of weird at the end, the way he's laying there with his tongue sticking out. It almost made me giggle when I saw that, and I don't think that was the desired effect. Mm. But still the idea of that I thought was kind of cool. Mm. And, that and well executed. He was an asshole, but he was an asshole who was begrudgingly trying to do the right thing and still it ended up getting fucked over, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, I, I don't think it's necessarily easy to predict what's going to happen next in the movie, and yet I'm not surprised by anything in the movie, yes. you know? I don't know. Absolutely. I want to be sitting here saying another slam dunk for Larry Fessenden, and I tell you, anything this guy puts his name on, I will still watch. No, no, uh, he, he has me. He definitely has been. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I think that the audience for The Beneath who are really going to enjoy it is small, but the people who will enjoy it will enjoy it a lot. It's a, so. it's a killer fish movie. Yeah. It's yeah. a killer fish movie. And you it's a killer fish movie made for $5 on a weekend. You exactly. Know? <laughs> you know what would be a good double feature would be this and Frankenfish. Yeah. You'd almost have sort of a yin and yang of... <laughs> yeah. Sort of a totally silly killer fish movie. Here's a ambitious, smart uh, killer fish movie, and yeah. here's just a dumb killer fish <laughs> movie that gets the job done. Yeah. You know? But it makes you smile. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's where I land on the beneath. Anything else you want to say? No, I think you pretty much well covered it. I love you, Mr. Fessenden. I love you. I you will can, watch you. You can do better. All right, everybody. Double check your gear. Make sure it's all on board. I pray you didn't forget your bug spray. They have come to the world's most isolated jungle to explore the unknown Amazon. You ready? I think so. And conduct scientific research to prove the existence of a long-lost tribe. Shishama worship giant snakes. Anacondas as gods protect us. What is this? Anaconda skin. Is snakes up there this big? This skin is three or four years old. Whatever shed it has grown since then. Snakes don't eat people. Oh, they don't? That's it, man. I'm getting the hell back to LA. It's always good to be prepared. Now, they are the ones being watched. Do you hear that? The ones being followed. Nobody move. The ones being hunted. There's something down there. That's right. No, I really mean it. I really mean it, too. But not by anything human. Hey! That's from the smoke! If we help him, then he will help us get out of here alive. Get him in the face! You're gonna get us all killed! Ah! It's coming! Get Anaconda, when you can't breathe, you can't scream. So, uh, in the year 1997, Lee Beckman took me to see a movie. Oh, yes. <laughs> called, I remember. <laughs> called Anaconda. Yeah. And I went in skeptical with my arms crossed. <laughs> oh, Even yeah. though it had... Uh, uh, my man crush, Eric Stoltz, present. <laughs> the uh, press on the movie had been less than positive. With the notable and curious exception of the late, great Roger Ebert, 
who for real gave this movie three and a half stars. Oh, there was more than one person that and, gave this uh, movie three and a half stars. Said that John Voight gave a brilliant performance. And uh, that almost, for me, destroys Roger Ebert's credibility. Now, yeah, this is me coming out of the gate saying that Anaconda is a bad movie. Even spectacularly bad movie. It's also fucking hilarious. <laughs> it is completely watchable. Oh, yeah. It is the best kind of bad, so bad it's good. Classic movie. example of so bad it's good. The snake, the anaconda itself, yeah. is not for a moment in any frame convincing ever. <laughs> it is either completely CG or it's a clear puppet that's yeah. very different from all the CG we've seen. So we know the, the puppet CG, puppet CG. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's fine. I mean, they were working with what they had at their hands. But really, pretty amazing cast. <laughs> like The cast on this is in <laughs> almost like you kind of shake your head. To be fair, nobody knew Owen Wilson was going to pop. He was just another actor at the time that this was made. But yeah. Eric Stoltz still had a lot of indie cred. What he was doing in this big... <laughs> monster Hollywood movie. I don't know, but he seemed to be enjoying himself. I at this point at least had, you know, a franchise and another artistic, you know, hit movie under his belt, so he was no flyweight. And of course, Jennifer Lopez was, at the, the block. was at the height of her, just the start of her height of her popularity. Yeah. I don't think Out of Sight had happened yet. That was where I think she really legitimized herself, at least for me as an actress. But this film made a lot of money. That's, it was a hit. Yeah. And uh, it's funny because it's led by two musicians, as we say, Ice Cube and Jennifer for Lopez. Lopez. Yeah, uh, uh, we also have Carrie. I think Carrie Werher. Carrie Werher, and of course, who was of course you know a bit of a scream scream queen. But we also have John Voight and Oscar <laughs> winner John fucking Voight. And the uh, the first kill of the movie is Machete himself, Danny, Danny Trejo. Trejo. Yeah. So there's a lot of fun faces to see in this movie, but I really gotta. I, whenever I think of Anaconda, I think of John Voight. <laughs> I don't think he gives a good performance here. In fact, I think he's like, he gives Michael Douglas a run for his money for actually being over, you know over, what? over I think top. John Voight knew exactly what kind of movie was being made. And he kind of went, you wanted me to act like this and say it like this and you're paying me how much? I Honestly, I, I think yes. he just started the day by rubbing Vaseline in his hair and putting it in a ponytail. And just putting this permanent sneer on his face. <laughs> just like, he's it's, sort of, he's sneering it's and he's looking down at you at the same time. It's almost like he's got severe gingivitis going on in the entire movie. And his upper lip. He uh, looks at everybody like he's about to cook and eat them. <laughs> like, just... <laughs> and, and nobody... <laughs> Nobody on the boat, when they rescue him, question him except for Eric Stoltz. Eric Stoltz is the only <laughs> right person... Right the back goes, hey, wait a second. Yeah, he's the only person who's like, this guy is clearly, transparently evil. Shirt of a sign, sort of blinking on and up, going, bad guy, bad guy. And it's, the Stoltz is the only one that can yeah. see it. Again, it's, it's hilarious. It's and hilarious. what's with the fucking bee? <laughs> like, how did the fucking bee get in the hole? Oh, no, no, that was all done deliberately by... Uh, I know, but it's so stupid. John Voight, yes. They get hung up. Uh, I don't know how he predicted they were going to get hung up. That's a good question. Yeah. But uh, Eric Stoltz has to go under the boat to do some fix, and John Voight's put a wasp in his respirator. He gets stung in the throat, almost yeah. dies. Yeah. John Voight gets to play the hero, but he takes basically takes command of the boat and keeps leading them further astray and into deeper, deeper danger. Yeah. We're giving this way more time than it needs. Yeah. It also has this really fucking hilarious scene with Owen Wilson and Carrie Werher where they go off the boat and go walking into the jungle 
go by themselves. Classic Apocalypse Now. <laughs> Never yeah. get off of a boat scenario. Yeah. And Owen Wilson has to deliver with a straight face this line. You know, the jungle makes me really <laughs> horny. <laughs> I'm reminded of uh, uh, a famous movie, uh, Return of the Killer Tomatoes, yeah. starring one George Clooney. Yes. And uh, George Clooney had to say with a straight face in earnestly, that's the bravest thing I've ever seen a vegetable do. <laughs> when you're approaching a line as an actor, as terrible as, you know, this jungle really makes me horny. Yeah. Or that's the bravest thing I've ever seen. Like, what's the best case scenario you're going to get? It's out? almost like Owen Wilson should have done the whole 1970s porn music sound after. Wow. wow. Yeah, wow. no. No, porn. I'm sure Owen Wilson looks back at Anaconda fondly and now he earned his paycheck on that one. Um, oh. I think he might have my favorite death of the movie, though. <laughs> I, I love the fact that he's still, last we see him, he's still digesting. Yeah. No. There, there's the, yeah, the great underwater shark of the, this, this snake swimming with Owen Wilson inside of it. It's kind of funny. For, Not for a second convincing. One thing that I just don't understand is this is a movie made by a major, major motion picture studio. Like, money was allegedly thrown at this movie, but all of the special effects look terrible but i can't decide lee if that's because the special effects are terrible or, or is it the old? time it's this is still the mid 90s where like 92 was when terminator 2 came out and said cgi can do anything right yeah so this is only like five years later they're not quite there yet but even the whole panther eye looks like you know the when we first realized the anaconda can take out more than just a small animal yeah it shows this like leopard eye thrown at the screen and it looks completely fake yeah um there's decisions in this all aspect of this movie that do not make sense and especially like i said it's made by a major studio that clearly had lots of money there's a shot in this movie where you know they're supposed to you know have it this boat sort of you know coming out of this lagoon like they're moving along and it's clearly a reverse shot. Yes. <laughs> That's a famous scene. You can actually tell the water and the waterfall is going, going up. And you're kind of like, why? <laughs> they don't even need the shot. Yeah, it's just like an establishing shot. And yeah. it's totally fucked for some reason. Yeah, like it, they clearly they ran out of time and money maybe. I don't know. But we sort didn't, of, you, we don't, just, you don't need the shot. Like, it's why is it there? We didn't talk about the... Uh, the, the plot, but that's okay. Neither did the filmmakers. <laughs> <laughs> basically, wow. you have a pseudo National Geographic uh, group going up the, this this river to film a documentary. Yeah. They run afoul of this snake poacher who takes over the boat and yeah. leads them on this hunt for this huge anaconda, yeah. and stupidity ensues. But I think we wanted to talk about for me this movie's Taron Manning. Ice Cube. <laughs> oh, <laughs> now, I know part of it is not entirely Ice Cube's fault. He's yeah. sort of got that Donnie Wahlberg thing where he always looks like he's vaguely pissed off. Yeah. His resting face just looks like grumpy, yeah. <laughs> you know? And that's just who he is, and that's part of his charm, I guess, right? And that's fine. <laughs> but the fact that he just sneers and rolls his eyes every single line that he's given is just like... <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't feel like a performance. J-Lo doesn't have a lot to do, but I feel like she's playing a character. She's not Jenny from a, from a blog. Like, this is Ice Cube holding a camera, basically, yeah. for the whole movie. You know? <laughs> I that was probably his only direction. Like, <laughs> Ice, just, just hold it like this, and then go here. Yeah. Now, now Ice, show me the pouty lip. 
But I like that the two lip. biggest roles outside of John Voight were played by non-actors. It's sort of telling. <laughs> you know, they surrounded them with really good actors. Don't forget, is it, is it Jonathan Price as well who played that stereotype? No, I, I wanted to say Jonathan Price, but it actually isn't. It's not. The actor, I want to say, Jonathan Hyde. Ah, right, Jonathan Hyde. Price um, is the talented one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is probably a little bit, maybe a little bit more expensive than they wanted to pay for that role. Yeah. But, uh... He has a great death when he's, he tries to jump to, to the well, water. He, rede- to get, he redeems himself. Yeah. He tries to jump to the water to get back to the boat, and the snake grabs him midair and coils him. <laughs> it's great in the idea of it. It's not great in that it's at all convincing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. this is the asshole who was knocking golf balls into the water to, to kill time, you know. That he would bother to bring his fucking golf clubs on this journey. Just, you know, again. The, Too <laughs> stupid to live. The movie is unabashedly stupid, and I do yeah. think that they knew they were making a goofy monster. Oh, well, movie I think yeah, it. they were doing an, an, an homage to those nineteen fifties, nineteen almost early sixties Universal monster movies or adventure, you know, junk, you know. But I don't think it's jungle. trying to be a comedy. Is my point. I do think that they set out in earnest to make a thrilling monster movie, and I think it becomes hilarious because of the execution. I think that it is like a horror comedy, practically. <laughs> like I do think it's so ridiculous. Yeah. And so sloppy, and like, and and there's so many. Like, Do you think the slop is intentional? I don't. I don't. I think that's the magic of the movie. Like I say, I really do think that they were trying to make... Like, it was a goofy movie, obviously. But they went into it in earnest. We're going to make a thrilling snake movie. And they made a hilarious snake Snake movie. movie. That's my opinion. Other people can argue that point. But I think John Voight is hysterical. And, like... Like, you say that he knew exactly the movie he was made. I've never seen Voight really, like, fucking... Zero in on it and lock into something like that and, and commit so fully. Like uh, honestly, uh, most of my John Voight that I've seen is his older career, you know. But for the most part, at least in the later days in his career, it's just John Voight. He's a workman actor, but he's never really completely blown me away. And in a weird way, it's just like you showed up to work, buddy. I don't know why you chose this project, but you showed, <laughs> showed up to, to work. work. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I can totally understand somebody watching this movie and despising it. Oh and no! I'm not saying oh, it's no. a good movie, but I have I have a dumb smile on my face while I'm watching it. And sometimes, once again, I will say this: for a movie as terrible as it is, I have seen Anaconda probably more than six times. <laughs> it somehow keeps on. If you're in the mood across. to watch something like this, Anaconda yeah. is like one of the best of those movies. Like it is. So bad, it's delicious, yeah. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Um, I would be disappointed to find out that they were actually setting out to make it cheesy. Uh, but uh, So you thought they were swinging for the fences? I really do think they were trying to make a legit scary monster movie, and they ended up making a hilarious one. But how can you make a legit scary movie when your, tagli- when your tagline is, when you can't breathe, you can't scream? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Makes a good poster tagline. <laughs> I think that the you know J Lo and Ice Cube were gonna bring people in the seats that the snakes would bring the rest, <laughs> and like I said, they surver- they surrounded these these musicians with actors. But uh, the end result is is an accidental catastrophe, <laughs> half catastrophe, half masterpiece. <laughs> Crap tattered piece. Masterfee? I don't know. <laughs> no, now we're just making up words. This is this is silly. Silly. Stop that. Stop that. That's silly.
Are you ready? I'm ready. What's All right. your least well, favorite of these six movies? Least favorite and by, and by far the worst, the, you know, the clear worst is The Braid. Um, it's, you know, like I said, it, you know, the cinema equivalent of a Happy Meal where it goes through your system. It doesn't even taste good. It, it tastes like a bad McDonald's cheeseburger. Lukewarm. You, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you feel nothing and it passes through. It's Errors are obvious. You feel nothing for the characters. And it's also hampered by the fact that the dogs look way too happy and way too well cared for for them and need to be menacing. It's almost got a sort of Night of the, Night of the Lupus kind of vibe where it's, you know, <laughs> death of my cute puppy. Oh, yeah. yeah, so I'm going to start with, with the breed. I'm then at number five, and I still want to like this movie more than it actually was, but The Ghost in the Darkness. Great story. <laughs> I mean, great story. And I mean, what Hollywood did to it was just, it's just wrong. So, you know what? They can remake this movie, change the title, and get rid of Michael Jack Nicholson <laughs> Douglas. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you, you got something. You do. So, and it's set in Africa. So, I, you know, it's, I, I got a sort of special place in my heart. And I know how dangerous lions can be. There's, you know, the, the killer lion movie waiting to happen, which makes me want to see that Melanie Griffith one. Is that one? Roar. Is Melanie Griffith in that? No, no, no. Yeah, Roar, I think so, yeah. Anyways, I digress. So number five is The Ghost in the Darkness. Agreed, okay, all right. Okay. Number four, and I think this is where I lose you, is Anaconda. I agree. This movie is a lot of fun, and it's one of those classic definitions of so bad it's good. And I have seen it. More than four times. I think I've seen it quite a bit, actually. I saw it like three times in the theater. So it's not like, you know... You enjoyed I, yourself. I, I did. You just... You, you could look yourself in the mirror afterwards. I do. It, it's, <laughs> it, it's kind of like this weird, dirty secret that, you know, I sort of have this undying respect for Anaconda because everyone else I know hates this movie. And I get it. Yeah. I get it. It's not quite Battlefield Earth bad. No. But, wow. Yeah. And... Yeah, yeah, well, I'll get to Joy Voight later. <laughs> All right. So, Anaconda. Third place. Is Jaws 2. It's, once again, suffers the greatest sin of, you know, it's, there's nothing really bad about it. There's nothing really great about it. It has its moments, and, it, you know, it does kind of pick up in the third act. It kind of, I don't say blows its load early, because that's a bad, 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 <laughs> bad metaphor to use, but... The movie only does pick up until the third act, and at that point, it's you know almost too late in some regards. Yeah, but yeah, the movie satisfies itself without satisfying its partner. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, <laughs> right there. It's a selfish lover. Exactly. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry, cramp, cramp. There we go. At number two, we have beneath. Once again, I'm thrilled this... to hear that rank that high. Yeah. yeah. Um. It suffers sort of the same flaws as the film mentioned earlier in Jaws Two, where the, you know, the 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 villain looks completely fake, and whether you, you buy it or not, I think does sort of you know help, whether you go with the movie or not. Um, at this point, the series starts to show its ridiculous little you know uh, trend at that point, which will be, you know multiply as the film sort of come along. Um, there's good writing here. There is. There's actually good elements. Larry Fessenden is a very talented director, and I think he did elevate the script. It, like I said, it needed another pass, and I think it could have been, you know, an exceptional killer fish movie. So beneath is number two, and at number one, I think the one film in the bunch that is of you know 
quite good call, quite good quality. Like a talented filmmaker made this, and with very little money in a lot of ways. Yeah. Is of course Blackwater, that Australian you know killer croc croc movie. When the man knows how to make a monster movie, I, whether it be a killer croc or a killer shark, this man knows how to do it. So there you go. Well, no, we don't match, unfortunately. Uh, we match in places where I'm glad that we match. Yeah. Um, oh, man, I wish I... I really do like The Beneath. I really do. I, w- I wish it ranked higher on my list, but uh, yeah. I couldn't put it at number two. I just didn't get it that high. But uh, mm-hmm. here's my list, and hopefully we'll part company still friends. <laughs> but uh, in sixth place, I agree with you, The Breed. Yeah. The happy puppies licking people to death. I was wasn't I wasn't buying it. It's new Milo and Otis. I'll say that much. Yeah, um, there's there's horror movie cliches and a not very scary villain. So not a lot to hold on to here. You uh, maybe not a catastrophe, but certainly not worth anybody's time. I don't think it's just mm-hmm. there's better movies than The Breed to be found. Yeah, shockingly, all the way in fifth place, Beckman. I put the beneath. Wow. This is the the, the frustrating thing about this, and this is the most frustrating kind of like flawed movie for me, is because you can see the really good movie that's here. Like it for me, like I can see. I don't understand because there are way worse movies than Beneath that I would put here. Yeah. So, like, you want to sit in here and tell me that The Ghost in the Darkness is a better movie than Beneath? I'm going to say that. More people will be entertained by the Ghost in the Darkness than will be on the Beneath. More people will turn off the Beneath than they will turn off the Ghost in the Darkness. I strongly beg to differ. You think so? Well, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Um, I love Larry Fessenden. Really? And, I, and, and, and you would put <laughs> Anaconda higher than Beneath? You're going to be surprised how high Anaconda is. <laughs> but, uh, really? There um, is something wrong with you. I'm talking about... Uh, I like I like the beneath, but I yeah. wanted to love the beneath, and because I came in with the baggage of loving Larry Fessenden, my expectations were high, and the flaws are loud and obvious. That you don't have to be a film critic to see them. I like I read some of the reviews online when I was doing mm-hmm. review search. This movie is not well received. It's mm-hmm. got a three point seven on mm-hmm. IMDb. Mm-hmm. Most people don't have the patience for this movie. Um, like I saw it through, and I think that there's like I say. All of the elements to make a good movie were there. Yeah. There's some really great scenes in it, but yeah. I gotta be honest. Wow. I don't think this is a very strong movie, uh, especially in Fessenden's career. Um, and, you know, it's just. I, I, I honestly think more people will be dismissive of The Beneath than they will be of my number four pick. But which you is see, the Ghost I think you're thinking of people. Instead of myself? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe if I would be gutsier to put it higher, but uh, maybe if you like some people think I'm crazy. I really think you should I'll, sit... I like it, but uh, I don't think I will have watched it as many times as I've I watched really The Ghost I really think you should sit and think, rethink this. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm just wrong, man. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm going to keep pressing on. All right, fine. Number four is where I put The Ghost in the Darkness. Okay. Uh, in spite of me being frustrated by the racism in the script... And, and there's lots of them. Uh, and just the problematic elements... It's impressively mounted. You know, this is not an easy movie to make. Right? Here's the thing, though. I think at one point they even knew they were sort of making a, a somewhat racist movie. There's that line by Ampuri where he says, "Of course you are. You're white. You think you can do everything." Yeah, he's sort of acknowledging that you know. Yeah, but it's sort of acknowledging that you know it's got this you know classic old old sort of systematic racism going through it. Much like The Beneath, this has loud, large problems. Much yeah. unlike The Beneath, I don't think it's going to sink the ship. 
as much as, as it will for other people. I think, you know, you got rich production values. Mm. You got it, scary it, lines. It's actually a, a good-looking movie to look at. Yeah. Uh, and, and despite, like I said, me knowing that it's got flaws, I, I keep coming back to it. So I give it points for that. All the way in fourth position, I put the ghost in the darkness. <laughs> and all the way in third position... I put Anaconda. Oh, right. <laughs> Here's the thing. Like, it's a bad movie. Yeah. It's a bad movie. Yeah. But it's one of those rare bad movies that I really enjoy. Because <laughs> yeah. it's just See, like... See, this I can sort of understand <laughs> because, you know, we understand that sometimes there are films that are so bad that they are good. When I'm watching The Beneath, I'm just like, oh, oh, oh almost. That's all. Oh, I can but see it. But it's just it. higher quality. When I'm, watching, when I'm watching Anaconda, I'm just, boo ha <laughs> Like, this is, like, completely ridiculous. It's like this is batshit crazy. It's and like you can always see the you know the prop masters behind the behind the the shot almost you know going click click with the robot snake. I just millions of dollars. I know millions. I of know. Dollars That's, I mentioned this. this earlier. This is a big budget summer blockbuster release. Lots of money went into it, and wow, wow. And oh, it's weird because it's, an, it's it's getting on. It's pretty like dog-eared a lot, you know. It's, it's ninety seven. It's an older movie, but yeah. people seem to be aware of Anaconda. <laughs> so I think weird. once again about Anaconda, there's something. I think Steven Spielberg was right. At least at this point, you know, you can only do really do CGI if it was really done in dark and shadow. Yeah, that's when it looks authentic. When you do it, you know, sort of in the you know brightness of day. It, it takes you out of it, as you know, and I'm looking at you, Deep Blue Sea, as another <laughs> shiny example of that. So, so surprisingly, all the way in third position is that. And even more surprisingly, considering how much we were shit-talking it, Jaws 2 managed to make its way to second place. Okay. It's not fair to compare Jaws 2 to Jaws. Okay? Yes. If Jaws didn't exist... I kind of think you and I would maybe like Jaws 2 more than we do. Yeah. But because it's related with Jaws and because it's very directly related to Jaws, Brody is there, you know. Um, we're constantly being reminded that this is a follow-up to a masterpiece and that it is not itself a masterpiece. Yeah. But it is all right. And uh, once we get into the action and when the shark's on film, it delivers in way, the way you want to yeah. and in a way that no other subsequent Jaws movie will. Um, it may seem like an artificially high ranking in this list, and maybe that speaks to the quality of the list. And, uh, you know, maybe this is where the beneath should be, <laughs> but uh, uh, that's where I put it. I put it in second place. Yeah. Uh, which means I agree with you that number one is Black Water. Yeah. I think it was the one that felt the most real. The scenario felt the it's most It's the genuine. most effective thriller out of all of them. Yeah. It, it provided the most scary intention. And there's nothing but. Like, it's not, I like this but. Yeah. It's, it's a good movie. Yeah. It's solid. I yeah. can recommend it. Yeah. If you like animals eating people movies, this is a good one. Yeah. It's pretty bleak, but uh, it, it, it works your nerves in a way that a horror movie should. So, big thumbs up. Not once, Blackwater. yeah. No, not um, once did I go bullshit. It, it it was believable all the way through. I don't hate that, beneath. I keep going back to the beneath. I you know, know five seems like a low ranking, but uh, uh, it's good enough for what it is. Considering the budget, my heart goes out to it. I just I I, I hold Larry Fessenden to a high standard, and like I just. I think it it's it has more obvious flaws than, than most of the rest of them. Uh, we didn't 100% agree, but I think that we're not totally on... on, on, on I think you're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to feel guilty about this decision. <laughs> uh, you're going to feel guilty about this lineup. You're going to think, no, 
Lee was right. Lee was right and I was wrong. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm thrilled that you put it that high because, like I say, I do, like, in a way, kind of want people to watch the movie. I just think more people will be disappointed than thrilled. (laughs) And if that's the way I feel, how can I rank it high on the list? But I think, you know, he swung for the fences and at least his his miss is higher quality than... than A lot of people's successes. That's true. That's true. Ninth episode of Rankin Review. Here comes the Jerry Awards. Before we uh, get our, our beak wet with the Jerry's, though, question: Who would win in a fight, John Voight from Anaconda or Michael Douglas from Ghost in the Darkness? Oh, <laughs> them's fighting words. Um, um, I think for sheer badassery, just because I would want to hear change of plans. Mm-hmm. I probably have to say Michael Douglas because. I, you know, I like 80s sort of action machismo Michael Douglas. Yeah. You know, wow. Yeah, exactly. the stone. Yo, oh, baby. He's my dream. Um, oh. But uh, I would, so, I agree. I think that he would just take one look at that sneer on John Boy's face and, and without a word just put a bullet through his face. Yeah. <laughs> no maniacal no evil monologues. No, like, bam. <laughs> anyway. And uh, then his catchphrase would, of course, be... <laughs> Change of plans. Change of plans. Alright. Um, so here we are with the Jerry's. This is your episode, so you get to uh, you get to name the winner, but uh, we have a best performance by a, hom- a person. Ah, we best have performance f- by a homo sapien. Not just a person. Not just a person. Homo sapien. sapien. Uh, we right. have best death, and we have WTF, and... That's it. That's we it. have, we, we have WTF, best kill by an animal, and best performance by a homo sapien. Why don't we start off with that? Okay. Uh, just because I think Roy Sh- everything that Roy Scheider does is beautiful, I'm gonna have to say the Shide. Okay. The Shide in, in Joss too. I mean, he gave nomination or win. Oh, uh, I don't want to say that quite okay. yet. Okay. Well, nomination for now. Um, we have all the cast of Beneath. I think they elevated a script that had some problems with dialogue and certain sort of character beats. You got the feeling like everybody involved in this low budget production were in this in the same boat, yeah. <laughs> literally and figuratively, yeah. uh, and they worked together. As I well. think they did well. Yeah, all I'm saying. And I'm gonna have to say the scissors in Blackwater that definitely helped along. You know, uh, you know, a well made script that had a very talented people behind it. They're re- really good. And you kind of see the younger sister find the strength that she didn't think she had, that her yeah. older sister kind of embodied. Yeah. And in a way, like, she comes out the survivor of it, you know? The character arcs are very real in this movie, I believe it, and I think the performances were a big part of it. Okay. But the winner, just because... Mr. Scheider. Mr. Yeah. Scheider. Yes. He's too good. Yeah, and he was taken from us too soon. Yeah. That is, well, towards the end, uh, towards the end of his career, I, mean, I think he had a sort of small resurgence. He did show up in Naked Lunch and yeah. a few things, but he was doing a lot of shitty directed well, appara- video, forgettable yeah. movies. Well, apparently the- he was quite the you know accomplished Broadway actor. He had a pretty yeah. fruitful career after you know the movies. All that did. jazz. And- <laughs> well, yeah, there was a time where he was a big star. Yeah. All that jazz, Blue Thunder, hey, like obviously said- Jaws, Marathon Man. Huge, huge fan. I just, in a way, I feel like he's under-celebrated. Did you ever see the so Seven I'm happy ups? to give him this Jerry Award. Yeah, did you ever see the Seven Ups? I don't think I did, no. You know, it's, yeah, it's on my list. That, oh, I've seen 52 pick up. 
Anyways, <laughs> the shide. The shide. Okay. He's a Jerry award-winning actor, and he I'm thrilled to say it. He's now, you know, yeah. French Connection. French Connection. Jesus. There it was. All right. Um, best kill by an animal. Okay. There's lots of animal kills in this When Animals Attack movie list, but okay. Well, one of the, one of the selling points of Ghost in the Darkness are the lion attacks. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that scene where that... Uh, the foreman sort of is dragged yeah, out. Yeah, the foreman is dragged out and then sort of ripped to pieces is... It's a great beginning. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of actually good lion kills in the Ghost in the Darkness. When that doctor does go and get his you know throat essentially torn out, torn out, that is well done. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna have to say that for Ghost in the Darkness, the girl bleeding to death and beneath. Yeah, it's that, well handled. That was a strong death. It yeah, really was. It, it works. It works. And even you know seeing you know what they do to her body afterwards. Yeah. For me, that in a way the movie peaked early for me there too. I don't think yeah. the movie got better than that, but uh, yeah. Uh, I agree totally. That was a good death. There are two really brutal and well-executed um, shark attack scenes in Jaws 2. And it was close. I think when... What's his name? The guy gets smashed against the boat? Yeah, is it Tommy or... Yeah, uh, I can't remember the character's name. But Anyways, yeah. I know Tina's boyfriend, his death, Tommy, I think it was. Right. Um... His exodus for the movie is well, is you know, and I like executed well enough. She survived the te- the attack, but you get the feeling like she's forever fucked up from it. Yeah, <laughs> she's like not that. doing well when you know she she's, she exits the movie. Assuming that this was a true story that happened in 1978, she's still not over it. Yeah. <laughs> like she's fucked up. So yeah, but, I like that. but but there is a better scene that comes later when the teenagers. Or the young people, the young adults, if you will, have put the boats together after an initial attack. And young Brody, what's his name? Michael Brody? Falls into the water. Falls in the water and is saved by a girl. She becomes a sacrificial lamb. It's the sound, it's the editing, it's it's how the shots are, are, are put together in a really good sequence. Her death is quite brutal and one of the better deaths in the entire series all around. Yeah, it's one of those things that they do in good creature features when somebody dies doing a noble act, it kind of stings a little bit more. Yeah. They put themselves in harm way knowingly and it didn't play out for them. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, ouch. So, yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah, Good. so that, that and Jaws 2. Um, what else? Well, there's the John Voight you were talking right. about. Right. Getting spat out of... <laughs> He, uh, he explains with his cheesy accent that uh, that they will even vomit up their food so they can eat more <laughs> earlier in the movie. So that's they right. It's been telegraphed right from the beginning that we will see a man swallowed, then vomited, and then basically you know swallow it again. And he winks. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, just because it happens, and we haven't really seen something like that before. <laughs> no, give it points for that. We yeah. had not seen anyone be vomited by a snake and then have the corpse wink at the person. So we, we have to give anaconda <laughs> that. <laughs> and last but not least. I think least I think the husband dying in Blackwater also kind of hurts, and yeah. it's sort of well done. I think he's flipped, is he not? Uh, it's one of those death roll things, but the fact that like it it surfaces with his body, it almost like it's showing them. Look, I got him. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's brutal. So, gotta give it to I think Joss too. Yeah, which one? Which killer? Cumulative or, or for the, the rescuer? The rescuer. Yeah. I, th- I, I think there's something about this. something primal, that scream that adds to it. Yeah, and she's it's almost like she's swallowed whole. Like, she's just gone. There's yeah. nothing left. Not even blood in the water. <laughs> she's yeah, just, she's just gone. <laughs> like Joe. <laughs> and last but not least, we have the infamous... What the fuck? Yes. 
the defining Jerry's the, the the WTF just because I think he's committed and it definitely puts Anaconda in the sort of oh, what the F John Voight's very committed <laughs> you have to give him that very committed performance is an entire what WTF the entire hilarious. time I you couldn't just... take him seriously for a second no, but I, I, I think it's hilarious <laughs> the winks he does is just wow <laughs> I've seen super villains played with more subtlety. Like, <laughs> wow. wow. So, basically, all of John Voight in Anaconda. <laughs> the helicopter being dragged underwater by the shark is also at one point where you go, wait a minute. Yeah. Too, too much. Too much. And it was the start of, it was the beginning of the end of any sort of credibility that the Jaws series had. What next? Is he going to eat a plane? Oh, no. Oh, not till Jaws 4. My God. Yeah. Um, I have to say, it's very grown worthy with a dream sequence for the ghost in the darkness. Oh, man. The second it starts, you're like, wait a second. <laughs> really? It went there? This is a classic thing. It's sort of like a false scare. This, like, Sometimes they have dream sequences in a movie and it tells you something about the character or it gives you a hint about future events or plot. Yeah. And sometimes they're just spinning the wheels. And yeah. this is just a clear account of, we haven't had a lion attack in a Let's, while. You know what would be fucked up? <laughs> if you saw his wife and child attacked by these lions, well, what are they, they they're not even here. It's a dream. dream. Brilliant. <laughs> and there was that meeting right there. Yeah, no, it's almost if this is an introductory chapter of what not to do in 101 screenwriting of the fuck dream sequences. Stop. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, no. Um, that is definitely a WTF moment, agreed. And basically the end of Beneath where the old guy who we've seen before, it's almost like the crazy old man that we see in slasher films. Yeah, inexplicably shows character. Um, basically appears. He, he does, and he doesn't he shoot the younger brother. He, he wounds him. He yeah. wounds him back to the water just so the fish can get him. Yeah. So it's revealed that he is a murderer, and you almost get the sense like he's done it before, or he's been watching them the whole time, or they're, they're again. This may be one of the scenes that didn't make the final, like what his role was, what and how he happened to be right at the shore where the dude turned up. It was just a little sloppy and weird. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the winner is John Boyd is my guess. I'm guessing you're guessing right. <laughs> yeah, well, no, you, yeah, you have to give it to John Boyd. Not since. Well, what Midnight Cowboy has he given such a memorable performance? Uh, a single tear for Val Kilmer. You know, there was a time where Val Kilmer would have been nominated for Best Actor or Most Hammy Performance. And I just think it says something for his execution of the character in Ghost in the Darkness that he was neither so hammy as to be cheesy and bad, nor yes. so good as to distinguish himself. He just had a subpar accent. And yeah, Val Kilmer's career is... You know, Kind of a strange one in a lot of ways because there was time where he was a very respected actor. And who, I believe he has the goods. Yeah. I really do think he's an amazing actor. Did he think... graduate from Juilliard? The youngest uh, ever graduate from Juilliard? Or Possibly. Something? Yeah. I don't know. I believe he's a really good actor, but at some point he must have loved, lost the love for it because very rarely do I feel like he's trying. Like I have to go back to Tombstone, you know, like to yeah. like where he really knocked me out, you know, and uh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I think his ego and his 
eccentric behaviors got the best of them. Perhaps we'll have to do an episode another day dedicated to our pal Val. Yeah. We'll call it our, our pal, pal Val. Val. <laughs> and, and insert theme song here. <laughs> da, 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 da. Thank you so da, much da, da, for being here da, 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 for the 49th episode of Rank and Review. I'm saying it should have been 50. <laughs> we'll see you again, brother. And that's it. Episode 49 is at an end. No more animals eating people for a little while anyway, kids. Um, please do send feedback to me at rankandreview at gmail.com. I, I haven't been getting feedback, and uh, it's just nice to know that there's people out there listening. Please seek out the show on iTunes and on Facebook. And please tell that other film fan in your life about this cool podcast for genre nerds. Because that's what I hope Rank and Review is. I guess we'll be talking to you in a couple of weeks when Rank and Review celebrates its 50th episode. Until then, thank you so much for listening.